0: Good morning, yes. Hi. (laughs) How are you? Thanks for being here. It is so kind uh, for you to come and worship with us every week. And as we go through the Bible and study, uh, would you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 4? As we are studying this today, I want you to know kind of some insight. Hi, Jimmy. I want to know kind of some insight of what goes on in my heart. This week, As I was studying through this place in Scripture, typically of me, I fly by the seat of my pants. That's why I'm not a great administrator. I am not. There's a lot of things I am not. I don't want to go into all I'm not, but I'm not that. And uh, uh, my wife came home and she said, you know, uh, you should hear the reports of all that's going on with Vacation Bible uh, School. Is that what we call it? Vacation Bible School? Yes. Yes and all of the people that are volunteering all of that's going on it's 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 nothing short of miraculous and so she started telling me and i got all fired up and i said man we've got to hear about this everyone needs to hear what's going on and so i i call west you know and west uh, let's have some testimonies this week and let's because it fits right in where we are and and uh, let's have some young people come up and we'll just we'll just let everybody know and he goes, you know, wait a minute, you know, we gotta, we gotta put all of this together, and um, and and we'll do it in in a in a in a couple of weeks. Um, and so I I I am just like I, I want to tell you so much of what's going on, yet I want to keep it fresh. And so what we're going to study today, what we're going to study today. We're going to come back in a couple of weeks. Today is critical. There's going to be something I believe that you're going to learn today that you perhaps hadn't thought through in in this particular place in Scripture. My intent was... By the way, Mike, thank you for all that you and your sweet wife have done as far as music and everything. I want to have you share a little bit. Well, anyways, uh, my intent was to go to chapter from, from, from chapter 4, verse 32, to chapter 5, verse 11. That was my intent. Couldn't do it. Um, with a clear conscience, I could not show us both sides of, of this coin, of what is taking place in the church. I, I'm going to mention both sides of the coin, but I wanna, what I want to do is concentrate on, on what we see at the end of chapter 4. I'm going to tell you one story that's just... I can't... I, I've got to tell you some of what goes on. There's a dear family that goes to our church here. Um, pretty much got involved because of their daughter. Uh, her name is... Um, Danielle. I don't know. Isn't that true? And Danielle is... a is a sweet young girl uh, her, her grandmother and her father and her mother were last night didn't ask permission to tell the story but it wasn't offensive in any way stretch your imagination and they were all everything was fine danielle cannot see um she sees i guess shadows i i'm, I'm guessing um but she can see shadows um And so um, one of the, during the Vacation Bible School, in a class and and now all of this, I don't know all the details. I'm not going to mention any name besides hers. But I believe, as I understand the story, either someone was holding a young child or they were talking to this young child. And the child asked, what's wrong with Danielle? And the the adult said, she can't see. To which this young lad, didn't miss a beat, says, oh, can I give her one of my eyes? Folks, when I heard that, I started to cry. When my wife told me that story, I started to weep and I said, that's, that's it. That's what got me on the phone calling West. That's what got me on the whole idea of of presenting today all these things that are happening in our body right now that, that I believe you and I need to know. Because as we study through the Bible today, what we're going to see is that very attitude of, can I give? Can I help? In the commentary that I was reading... Let me read with you, please, chapter 4. Uh, let's get started. Let me read from verse 32 to verse 37. If this is anything, if today will be anything like last night's service, I'm going to cry my way all the way through it. Just, just kind of, um, I, I, nobody knows. I don't know from one service to the next how it's going to go, so I might not. I probably shouldn't have said that. But um, uh, I want you to watch these words and take a look at what's happening to this church. It says in verse 32 of chapter 4, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving witness of, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or homes would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translates to mean son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. At this time, and we're going to pray, I I will not forget. We will pray in a second. If you can recall, think with me, what is taking place now in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a very wonderful message and 3,000 people, the Bible tells us, came to believe in Jesus Christ and started the church. Now let's tie things together a little bit. We studied the book of John, those of you who have been with us for a while. In the 8th chapter or the ninth chapter of the book of John, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. Do you remember? When, When the Pharisees, when the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, heard what Jesus Christ did... They did not want to give Him credit. They were fighting against Him all along. They just didn't want to recognize Him as the Messiah. And so as they fought against Him, they said, anyone, anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ will be cast out of the synagogue. Do you remember? And to be cast out of the synagogue meant that they were no longer able to function in the Jewish society. Well, because they were Jews and they couldn't function in the Jewish society, they also could not function in the Gentile society. So to be cast out of the synagogue meant that they were in absolutely no man's land. They had to think about becoming a nomad. They had to think about becoming a beggar. Because how they were going to make their living, who knew? So... We go to the message that Peter gave at Pentecost. 3,000 of them, mostly if not all Jews, accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah and they were instantly cast out of the synagogue. Where they were going to get their next meal, for some of them, their parents would consider them as dead. So where they were going to live, where they were going to get their next meal, how they were going to function, who knew? Here comes the church, 3,000 strong, and those of them that had anything gave so that none of them had to worry. Not at that time. A few days later, Peter gave another message, and we learned from chapter 4 that 5,000, about 5,000 men accepted christ so now we have a church of uh, for sure eight thousand probably twelve most of them are in need most of them need something and so what we've seen what we have just read is the church moving alongside and coming alongside of one another encouraging lifting each other up being What Peter asked them to be, continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer. What was key was in verse 32 they were of one mind and one soul. One heart, one mind, one soul. When I was reading through this this week, I came to a place in Scripture trying to make sure that I didn't go off base and Kind of fly off on a tangent here. I came to a place that I read in a commentary by a man that I absolutely adore by the name of Dr. J. Vernon McGee that said, We will not be able to duplicate this church again. The spirituality of these people was at a, an amazing level. He wrote in his commentary, There are far too many carnal pastors. Far too many carnal Christians to establish a church like that again. It's the first time I've read anything by Dr. J. McGee that I totally disagreed. I believe it's possible. I believe we can do it. If I didn't believe that, then I would have to resign. I would have to retire. Because my hope is People ask, John, how is it that you have such passion? I've had pastors say to me, you cry. You've been doing this 18 years. You're still crying. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why. It's because I do fly by the seat of my pants. I, I don't have um, a prepared message for you next week. What I'm going to give you next week is going to be learned this week. It's going to be something that will be as fresh as this morning's dew. And that gives me passion. And my passion is my hope and my belief and my love for you. My passion is that I believe we can have a church like this. If I didn't, why open the doors? Why? We must believe that we can be the church that God's called us to believe, to become. now let's pray father please would you open up our hearts our eyes and our minds that that we could take our minds and hearts off of the speaker myself that that i would be bypassed please father that we would see what took place in this church and what made it so unique and why why dear father can we not do it again? It's the same Holy Spirit. You're the same today as you were then. We're sinners saved by your grace. So were they. Why? I pray that we can, Father. I pray that our teaching will be so pure that that people will recognize, hopefully, dear Father, that we're hearing from you and that this is your desire for us, your desire that we become a church that's filled with the very spirit of God Almighty and that will make a difference in the society in which we live. In a couple weeks, dear Father, some of us here are going to hear stories that will just blow us away. From little children that that still believe things are possible. From a little boy that wants to give a little girl one of his eyes so that she might see. Oh, dear Father, would you please bless this time we have together? Uh, Help us through this, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Here's one thing you'll do if you read the Bible with any kind of integrity. And you ought to be doing that. If you look at the Bible at all, without an agenda, you'll find that the Bible is brutally honest. It is honest in recording history. It it shows both God and mankind's faults as well as strengths. In the book of Acts here, the 4th and the 5th chapter, we're going to see both sides of a coin. We're going to see the purity and the unity of a church. And we're going to see how it begins to fall apart by a couple that I believe purely wanted what Barnabas received. And that is honor. Let me give you a for instance. You study the Bible and you take a look at the life of Moses... And you'll see within Scripture his righteous defiance of Pharaoh. And that appears right alongside of his unrighteous defiance of God. By which he was not able to enter into the promised land. You take a look at David. You see his victories and his strength. And it's right alongside that you see his adulterous affair and and him murdering a person. You take a look at Solomon in the book of Proverbs and you see his his wisdom, but you read Ecclesiastes and you see his folly as well. The inspired record of this, the Word of God, never glosses over truth, even though at times truth can be painful, truth can be unattractive, it can be brutal and critical ask someone, or have someone ask you, why is it that God killed everyone sometimes? It's not hidden. He did. Well, so far in the book of Acts, as we've been reading through it, Luke's portrayal of the church is, is quite amazing, really. Very positive. It shows its strength. He it, it shows its dynamic birth on the day of Pentecost, it shows how unified the body is how they how they uh, encourage and lift each other up and and their explosive growth it shows that even satan's early attempts to stop the church in its tracks was shown as a failure the church marched right through that but this picture is not complete because no church is perfect it's not we're here aren't we Because you and I are here, this church is no longer perfect. Because you and I are sinners, saved by the grace of God Almighty. And no human being, man or woman, is without their faults. And since we are all sinners, this early church is no exception, as we're going to see in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is going to show the first recorded instance of sin within the body of Christ. It is, without a doubt, sad. Now, Satan's purpose was to oppose the work of God. We got, he gave him a name called the adversary. He was against all that God wanted to do. And his initial attack against the church backfired not only did the persecution that he wanted to pour out upon the church leaders and anyone who wanted to be a part of that church, but it also made him grow. Look at chapter 4. Look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 again. They were speaking to the people, they meaning John and Peter and the apostles, but were, the people were there. They were together. The priests, it says, and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and they put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. But even though they tried to persecute them, stop them, do not speak any more in His name. But it says in verse 4, many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. And Satan's initial attack against the church, it backfired. But faced with that defeat, he was way too relentless and way too smart to stop. So he just changed his tactics. Realizing that this external pressure, this external persecution, only fanned the flames with passion of those who believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, What he decided to do next was infiltrate the church itself and attack us from within. Throughout centuries, you want to know how churches fall? The eternal problems, internal problems within a church, brother against brother, sister against sister, has proven to be far more destructive than any external pressures that you and I might feel. The sins of the saints drove Paul to write this in Romans chapter 16. Please look with me at Romans chapter 16 verses 17 and 18. The sins of the saints within the church was a greater burden, I tell you, to Paul than all the opposition and persecution that he faced from unbelievers. And Paul faced a lot. It says that he was shipwrecked. He said that he, was, he went to starvation. He was beaten to the, to the very inch of his life. Not once, but a few times. He went through so much. But the sins of the saints? Paul says in verse 17 of Romans chapter 16, I, I, urge, you, I urge you, brethren, keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and, and turn away from them. For such people are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they'll deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. That was Paul's oh. deepest problem. If you read through the book of First of Corinthians, all you're going to see, if you... You and I to try to, to study the book of First Corinthians and try to get doc, <clears throat> excuse me, and try to get doctrine out of that, you have to be awfully careful because most of the time Paul is correcting them of their wrong. You know, I've, I've done one thing that I did since I was a little boy, and I do it probably I did it probably better than anything I've ever done, and that was play sports. And one time I thought, you know, it would be fun to be a big league manager. You ever think that, Jimmy? Yeah. I think most of us that played the game do. Jimmy Campanis was probably one of the great ball players of his day. He caught with the Dodgers and he traded. His dad was one of the geniuses of baseball, Al Campanis. And I'll tell you, I bet Jim would come up here and say the same thing. I learned as much about the idea of managing from bad managers as I did from good. Is that true? Sometimes I learn more from those that did wrong. I would say, boy, if I was the manager team, I sure wouldn't do that. In Scripture, you and I can learn a lot from mistakes that were made. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, there's a lot to learn there, but most of it isn't good. It's things that we ought not to do rather than things that we ought to do. And what God does here in the book of Acts first is allow you and me to see what a body of believer looks like when they are sharing with one another and there is unity within the body of Christ. Here in Acts, up to this point there is a sense of closeness and unity that causes the world to sit up and take notice of the church remind yourself of it look at chapter 2 look at verse 47 for a second it says they were they were they had everything in common with one another they were verse 46 they were breaking bread from home to home They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And they were praising God, as it says in verse 47 of chapter 2. And they were, uh, they have favor with all the people. Favor with all the people, as I've already explained to you, is not favor within the body of Christ. They were having favor with everybody in the community. Everyone in the community was seeing there is something going on within those four walls or wherever they gathered together that is unique. And there were people that wanted to investigate to see if I can, I want to have this. That's what a church ought to be. That's what you and I ought to be like. So that when someone that comes in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ yet as their Lord and Savior or is investigating or whatever they're doing and not certain, that, that when they see us and they hear the Word of God preached, their heart becomes convicted and they want to become like us. That's what we ought to model our lives like. We ought to be a people that is attractive to those around the outside looking in at us. And you can bet your life. people, the moment you tell them you're a Christian, look at you differently. And judge you differently. That's why anywhere I go and everywhere I go, the first thing I tell people when the opportunity arises is is I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't tell them I love God. Anybody can say that. What cuts the... What cuts the cord and really sets you out there is to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Boom, boom, and it hits now, the fan. And people will watch and judge your life. There was a sense of closeness and unity that caused the world to sit up and take notice about these people. You see, it's one thing, which I do easily, Talk about loving. I say to you, I love you every week. But it's another thing to sell all of your possessions and give the proceeds of what you have to someone less fortunate. That's a whole other ballgame. Yet with that kind of generosity was common here in Acts chapter 4. But now, listen closely. One thing you will not hear from me is that I'm begging now for money. This would be a perfect place if you were to take this out of context. But we won't do that here. There's one thing I know for certain. I learned a lot about giving from my wife. My wife, if nothing's tied down, she gives it away. I used to, I used to go behind her and say, you know, I tie things down. Not that. Don't get that. And she taught me that I could never ever outgive God. Couldn't do it. And she has given me the attitude now that I hope one day if you don't have, you will have. That I would be fearful, absolutely fearful, not to give unto the Lord the first fruits that come my way. It is now not only her idea that we give as we give. It is both of our ideas. As a matter of fact, I would be utterly afraid not to give unto the Lord because of the blessings that He has poured out upon our lives when we do give. But this is not a message on giving. And anyone that would preach it has not really understood the text, in my opinion. You see, and listen closely. No one in this church was required to sell all they had and to share it. If you think this is a communistic or a communal type of a purse that everybody sold everything, put it in a one melting pot in the middle and dealt with it that way, then you're you're dead wrong. Giving was purely, purely voluntary. Let me show you why you cannot teach this on giving. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 4. Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, as we're going to learn next week, made a tremendous mistake, he and his wife. Peter said to him in verse 4, Ananias, while whatever it is that he sold, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? The, the answer is yes, it was his. To keep or not to keep? And he says, Peter told him, after, after you sold it, was it, and I'm going to add the word still, but that's, it's true to this text, was it still not under your control? And the answer is yes. He did not have to give. This is not a message on, okay, let's sell everything we have and let's put it in a common pot and let's, let's see what happens with all of that money. no. Key to this particular verse, key to this particular place in Scripture is verse 32, where it says, look at verse 32 of chapter 4. They were all of one heart and they were all of one soul. There There was a commonness within the place. When I tell you that I love you, and I do, I tell you why. You force me into the Word of God. I don't know how often I need to say that, but sometimes it's misconstrued. I love you. Have people come to me and say, you can't say that you love me, you don't even know me. I understand that. I know it. I don't love you. Love you like that. I love you because you force me in the word of God. But I do love you. I do love you with all of my heart. Because I have been commanded to. When Jesus said to the disciples in, in John chapter 13 verse 34 and 35, look, he says I've given you a new commandment. Here's what your new commandment is. That you are to what? You're to love one another. As I have loved you, he says, I want you to love one another this fashion. He says, if you do that, by loving each other this fashion, all people are going to know you're what? You're my disciples. And so there ought to be a love within the body of Christ. And as I said to you before, look at 1 Corinthians. It would be a good thing to do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul taught, this to a dysfunctional church in Corinth. When Paul came to Corinth, they were a mess. Some were believing of Peter, some were believing of Paul, some were believing of Apollos. Others were saying, oh, I don't believe Peter, I don't believe Paul, I don't believe Apollos, I believe Jesus Christ. Okay, checkmate. And they were dysfunctional because there was... There was this disagreement within each other, within the church. And Paul pleaded with them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as he started his whole uh, message, if you would, to this church. He says, now I exhort you. What he is saying is I'm getting on my hands and I'm getting on my knees and I am begging you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree that there be no division among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. You see, a church that functions wonderfully as a church that has the same mind, the same heart, the same soul, the same passion to reach people for the cause of Christ. And within any group that you're in, it doesn't matter the, the, the group, if it's outside the church or inside the church, but especially in a church, that's where spiritual battles just erupt. You want to, you think you have pressure. Have you never been on a staff of a church? Do you think you have pressure? I ask you, take time and join a church and start serving the body of Christ as a person who is on staff and watch Satan just start to beat you up to beyond recognition. Battle begins when you start serving in a church because Satan knows that this is the place where people will come to Christ. This is the place where people ought to grow. And this is the place that he wants to attack, first and foremost. If he can disable you and me, if he can disable the Rock Community Church, he's won. And He knows that. He's smarter than any of us here. And He wants after us. Let me after John. Let me after Mike. Let me after Wes. Let me after Lynn. I will destroy them. If He can, He wants to. And so, any group of people, but especially the church, differences of opinions are inevitable. Oh my God, we're we're human beings. We're sinners. But differences can be helpful. If I'm not getting along with Jimmy for whatever reason, it is not a bad thing for us to try to iron it out. So I would go to him and say, you know, I have this against you. Or he comes to me and says, I have this against you. And I said, or he would say, wow, I didn't know that. Let's try to work it out. And if we work things out, if it's handled well, we can both grow spiritually. Differences aren't so bad. They can make us stronger. But spiritual unity within the body of Christ is essential without it. And without believing and following the spiritual leadership that we have within a church, then a church will never survive. I'm I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'll bet you there's a... A number of you out here this morning says, "Man, if I was running this church, I'd do it a little differently." I guarantee you that. I guarantee you, we wouldn't have this or that. I don't know about the color of that. I know we wouldn't do this. It's inevitable. We we all think that way. Very few. I'll tell you where where we have some. Forgive me if I boast. I boast in the Lord. Where we have a a, a chance here is you have a senior pastor who doesn't want to lead. You have a senior pastor. You have a senior pastor that doesn't want to be recognized. I won't go on radio. I've been asked. I won't go on television with this face, and I've been asked. I won't do these things because I want to pour my heart out into this place. I haven't been called to radio. I haven't been called to TV. I know where I've been called. I've been called to the Rock Community Church. And you're. you're, you're the best thing you have going for you is that you've got some guy that doesn't want to lead. I, I, let me, I'll tell you something in a moment. That is very healthy for us. We should all have that type of attitude, but I recognize that there are A-types. There are types that God lead. God bless them. Help them to lead. But within the functioning of a church, we've got to follow the leadership that God has given us. And between chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see that a church is just one, one sin away from spiritual tragedy. In verse 33, the apostles, it says, were teaching the Word of God. They, it says they were teaching it with great power. Therefore, it says, the grace of God was abundantly upon them. Here's, here's the deal. In verse 33, it says, they were, look, it says there, they were giving witness. The words were giving is an imperfect tense of a verb. What it means is they were continually teaching, they were continually preaching. The church was filled with the teaching of the Word of God. That's what makes a church full of grace. That's what gives a church a chance, a fighting chance. If we understand the Word of God, that's why I ask the Lord every week, move me aside. I don't want to be recognized. I want you, dear Lord, to be seen. Because I believe if the Lord is seen in your heart and you believe that He is speaking to your heart, you'd be more inclined to do whatever it is the Lord is saying to you to do rather than if you thought it came from me, for goodness sakes, who am I? Who am I? In verses 34 and 35, we see that there was not one of them in need. The church cared for one another. There's not been a wedding that I've done that I can know in my memory that I've not quoted Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. I put it to memory. Do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of us regard one another as, here's the key, what? More important than we do our own selves. You want to have a great marriage? That's all you have to do, husbands. That's all you have to do, wives. You want to have a great friendship? Treat the other person as more important than you do your own self. Want to have a great church? Treat the other person as more important as you do your own self. Not looking out, it goes on to say in verse 4, for your own personal interests, but looking out for and caring for the interests of one another. That's what this church in Acts decided to do. Decided to follow the Word of God. I want you to note something very, very, very important though. In verses 36 and 37, the singling out of Barnabas implies that the selling of anyone's property or possession was purely voluntary. Listen, think through it now. If it was compulsory, what would be the specialty of, 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 of pointing out that Barnabas did it? Everyone did it if it was, if it was compulsory, compulsory if, it was, if you had to do it. I'm sorry. But you didn't. It was purely a voluntary act. And Barnabas was pointed out because there was something unique about him as we're going to learn. We're going to learn more about him as we go along. But you can know enough by just knowing by his name. He was called the son of encouragement. He encouraged people. But there's a deeper reason. This is what I wanted to get at. There is a deeper reason for this passage. And what it does is, is it illustrates the important pattern concerning giving within the local body of believers. Watch this now. Note, this is important. They all did one thing in common, whether it was them or Barnabas. Look at verse 35 and verse 37. You tell me, what did they do that was common They sold their places. They sold whatever they had. And what did they do with what what they offered unto the church? What did they do? Verse 35 and verse 37. They laid it at the apostles' feet. You know what that means? They gave up ownership. Once they did what they did, once they gave whatever it is they gave unto the Lord... They gave up ownership. It was now the apostles, it was now the church leadership's responsibility to take care of the finances that came unto the body of Christ. That is why, folks, let me give you, you uh, cross-references to verify what I'm saying. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, please. Hebrews chapter 13. Hold your place here. We're going to come back. Hebrews is, you know, to the right. It's um, after, uh, you know, all those books. (laughs) 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 I'm so sorry. Hebrews chapter 13. (laughs) Look at verses 15, 16, 17 to 19. It says, through him then, talking about Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to His name. Then the writer of this book says, Now, don't neglect doing good and sharing. He says, don't neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is what? Pleased. You see, scripture will teach us over and over again that you and I cannot outgive God. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that we are to give back to Him a portion of what He has given to us. The portion that you and I give in the New Testament is dependent upon your faith. How much you can trust him. There was a gentleman that, that was at the church, last church that I pastored that, that started off giving God 10% of his finances. I'll even tell you his name because he's passed away and he's dearest, one of the dearest saints I've ever met. His name was Frank Marshburn. He had a business called Marshburn Farms. He and his brothers started giving more than 10% away before it was all over, as I understand it. Now, this, this percentage might be incorrect, but I believe they were giving close to 90% of their um, monies that they received from their business to the Lord and they were keeping... for themselves. They planted churches all over the world with that money. Well, some businessmen took a look at their company and they were going to sell. So this businessman decided, whoa, look at their books. They're giving 90% of their money away. This is gravy. They bought it. As I understand the story, a couple of years later, the land that was producing all of that uh, stuff Whatever it is they grew, didn't produce it anymore. You know who was producing? it? What are the marsh burns? It was the Lord because he knew He could trust them. They could be trusted with what He gave them. You can't give, you, you and I are not going to be able to give God. It can't. It's utterly impossible. And so it says in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 12, no, 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 forgive me, in verse uh, 16, don't neglect doing good, don't, don't, don't neglect sharing, because with these sacrifices, God's pleased. But then he says this, the writer says, now I want you to obey your leaders. I want you to submit to them, because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account of, Look what it says. Forgive me, I'm having trouble. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for them. Unprofitable for them? No. For you to not give the leaders of the church joy, for you to give the leaders of the church grief would be unprofitable for you. The Bible is saying, obey your leaders, submit to them. But... Because of the responsibility that the leaders have, do you think there's someone here at this church that thinks for an instant that, whoa, look at all we got, now we can do with it anything we want. No, there is so much prayer into going through what what the leaders of this church do. And when I say the leaders of this church do, I want to know uh, there's not someone here that can, well, Wes is here, maybe he can verify. I'll see if he verifies this for me. Wes, when we write a check in this church, is my name required on that check? Do i have a clue how much money we have in reserve you know you know why you know why because i don't run the finances in my own home how in god's name am i going to run the finances in the church i said to you earlier we have a fighting chance because at least we have a pastor that doesn't want to get greedy or doesn't want to run off with whatever it is that you and i give we have a place We have a place that has a fighting chance. And so I disagree with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I do believe we've got a chance to be this kind of church. I do believe it. And so instead of not giving your leadership joy, instead of making them grieve, here's what the writer says you and I to do. He says in verse 18, pray for them. Pray, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably by all things. And I urge you, all the Lord, to do this, that is to pray. Folks, we are taught within the Word of God that when we give unto the Lord, we ought to give joyfully unto the Lord. But then we turn the monies over to the church leadership. And, and the church leadership then guides us where we ought to go as a body of believers. And too often, people today want to give only, only if they can specify how and where the money is to be used. Last night, I could not use this example because the the person here was they, they, they did it. Someone gave us a really a large, I mean really a large. You can think, think large, and it's probably more than what you're thinking, amount of money. And never once did he say to me, this is what I want you to do with it. He said, I believe the Lord is blessing this church and I want to bless it. But sometimes you get someone who wants to give $1,000 to a church and they'll say, I want 250 of it to go to the kids' department. Then I want another $75 over here. on fine, you know, And they want to tell you what to do with the money when in fact they're not here every day. They have no clue what's going on. And where the monies are needed, example A, example A, When I took over the church at Yorval and the Friends Church, there was 150 people in that church. And they were a mission-minded church beyond any church I have ever seen. And the first thing that I heard about me is they said about me, I heard it through the grapevine, he's not a mission-minded pastor, why did we ever get him? Okay, I tried to convince them that I was a mission-minded pastor, but... I said, look around at our church. There's 150 of us and we are an army that is about as feeble as you've ever seen. I said, what we need to do is get strong from within. And I promise you this. If we get strong from within, I made this vow to them as I make it to you. If we get strong from within, if we establish who we are, we'll give more money, I said to them, the missions that you ever dreamed possible. And ten years later, folks, we were giving more money to the mission fields than all the churches combined in our denomination. And I told them it was going to happen. And when it did, they took the credit. I'm telling you this for the first time. And I stood back and said, I don't care who gets the credit. Let them take the credit. But I told them, I told them, this is what we ought to do. This is what we ought to become. Let's strengthen ourselves from within and we'll do things in this community. We'll do things in this world that will boggle people's minds. The giving that tries to donate, say where it's going to go, fails to understand the delegated responsibility of the spiritual god blessed ordained leaders over the church giving is to be so selfless let's close with Rome, matthew chapter 6 here's what jesus says when you and i give what we ought to do and by the way that's giving of your time giving of your talent or giving of your treasures in matthew chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 jesus says when you give alms Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then he adds, because your Father, who sees in secret, will do what? I'm not lying to you when I say to you that God wants to bless you when you give. He will repay you. So this place in Scripture has very little to do with communal giving. It has everything to do With the whole process of unity within the church, love for one another, and the very essence of giving and serving. We have been taught, I believe, by the Lord himself that we need to be careful when we get our feelings hurt if we're not serving anymore because someone hurt our feelings, instead of going to that person and trying to make things amend, trying to make ourselves spiritually stronger, we get angry, we turn our back, and we walk away. And what we do is when we do that, we let Satan win, and we harm the body of Christ. I beg of you, I beg of me, Let's not be a church that does that. Let's be a church that truly loves one another. Let's be a church that can function like this church here. That we can just love one another. I just believe it's possible. I just do. Father, may we be an example to the community in which we live. May we be a church, Father, that just absolutely adores you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. And then, Father, may we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us be a church that is unified, of one mind, of one spirit, of one heart, of one purpose. So, Father, we ask your blessings upon us. It's a tall task of a man that I love greatly that professes it can't be done today. I don't believe it, Father. I just don't. I believe you can do it. I want to spend my life trying to make that happen, Father, please. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than I can tell you, more than I can tell you. Thank you for being a part of the Rock Community Church. Thanks. I love you so much. Thank you. Good Lord.